Brothers and sisters, we continue our series in 2 Samuel. So we turn our attention now to the Word of God. And if you turn in your pew Bibles to page 322, 2 Samuel, we're coming to the end of the book. And remember that it's a collection of six passages here at the end. Summarizing the reign of David, King David over Israel. The outside two passages, the first and the last one, are narratives about sin and atonement. The middle two passages are lists of military accomplishments. And then the inside two passages are two songs of victory. So we're in that middle one, the first one of a list of military accomplishments. And so let's read 2 Samuel 21 verse 15. We'll move a little bit forward into that first song of deliverance to show where these, where David and his men got their strength, where, how they trusted the Lord in the fight. So we'll read through chapter 22 verse 4. But our text is just that section 15 through 22. Of 2 Samuel 21. There was war again between the Philistines and Israel, and David went down together with his servants, and they fought against the Philistines, and David grew weary. And Ishbi Banab, one of the descendants of the giants, whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze, and who was armed with a new sword, thought to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, You shall no longer go out with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. After this, there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibekai, the Hushethite, struck down Saph, who was one of the descendants of the giants. And there was again war with Philistines at Gob. And Elhanan, the son of Jeroboam, the Bethlehemite, struck down Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was again war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he was also descended from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. These four were descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. May God bless this word to our hearts and lives congregation and give us courage, as we read in the baptismal prayer, to fight against and overcome sin in the world and the devil in his whole dominion. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, this is a remarkable passage. It says so little and yet tells us so much about life in God's kingdom. We're at a list of wars against giants. 
We have four wars against the Philistines. We have four giants that the Israelites have to face in these four wars. Four heroes in Israel who face these giants and strike them down. And we have one lamp. And that's what we want to look at in this passage. That the God who destroys our relentless enemies and exalts his glorious king. First in the four big giants. And then four little heroes. And then one shining lamp. Four big giants. The world's mighty giants. The giants are Rephaim. They're descendants of the Canaanite tribe of the Anak, Anakites, descended from Anak. And we read in the book of Joshua that Joshua and Israel destroyed the Anakites, destroyed the giants. And those who weren't killed, they fled for refuge in Philistia, in Gath. So you have these Anakites who are dwelling in Gath and they're taken over by the Philistines and now they become military heroes among the Philistines. And some of these guys are huge, eight footers, nine footers, maybe even 10 footers. This isn't oversized storytelling. These are oversized men. We read of one account in Deuteronomy of Og, king of Bashan. Bashan, they discovered his 12-foot iron bed. That doesn't mean he was 12 foot long, but this guy was a big guy. Now notice first that these wars and giants come in waves. Just look at the structure of this brief military record. Look at the repeats, verse 15. There was war again between the Philistines and Israel. Verse 18. After this, there was war again with the Philistines at Gob. Verse 19. And there was war again with the Philistines. Verse 20. And there was war again at Gath. You get the Lord's point? You know, when your parents tire you out by repeating things over and over so you get the point and... Well, the Lord is saying the wars against God's enemies keep coming. They're relentless. You can never afford to lay down your sword, to sit back and relax and say the battle is over. You remember when David first became king? The first two things that happened? As soon as he became king of all Israel, second... Samuel 5, the Philistines came out in full force to go get him and destroy him. He beat them. Right after that, they came a second time in full force to get David. He beat them. And his special calling in Israel, we read in 2 Samuel 3, is that the Lord will use David to deliver Israel from their enemies, especially the Philistines. This is part of David's calling. And the calling of David's men, mighty men. One battle is over, a new one starts. This is not just Old Testament church life. This is the Christian life and the church life of the church in the new covenant. One enemy is defeated and another one comes. 
Don't you get sick of that? It's like the wars never stop. The enemy keeps getting up and coming back to try again to take you and make you his captive, to make you his own. Because he hates God and his Christ, the ruler of the world. He hates submission to Christ, and he hates your submission to Christ. And he wants to destroy that and make you submissive to him. Well, that's what these giants are all about. With each war, the Philistines trot out a new giant like they did in the days of David before he became king and they trotted out Goliath to, to, to curse Israel and, and intimidate them and scare them to send them running back home. The first giant is Ishbi Benob. Nice name. One of the descendants of the giants His spear weighed a mere seven and a half pounds, half the the weight of Goliath's. And he was armed with a new, our passage passage said sword, but it's just a new something, a new blank. He's got a new military weapon that they haven't seen. What's this? Scary. Now they're coming at us with, who knows what that is? And David was growing weary in this fight. And Ishbi thought, here's my chance. And he went in for the strike to snuff out the king, Israel's land. That's the first giant. New giant comes next war, Saph, one of the descendants of the giants. Then we have round three, the third giant, Goliath the Gittite. Now, this is either another Goliath besides the one David killed in 1 Samuel 17 but it's more likely the brother of Goliath. And if you look at the parallel passage in 1 Chronicles 20, verse 5, it says this, Elhanan, the son of Jair, struck down Lachmi, the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And that's most likely who it was, Lachmi, the brother of Goliath, the Gittite. That's the third giant. Round four, we have, ooh, The man from Gath, six digits on each hand and six toes on each foot for a total of 24 digits. But his biggest problem were not his hands and his feet, but his big mouth. Taunting Israel, the same word used for Goliath. Defying Israel and Israel's God. Israel faced giants. Impressive enemies, much larger and stronger than they. And it's their appearance, brothers and sisters, that's stressed. Their size, big guys. Their weapons. And their fierceness. Their malice. They hated Israel. They hated David. They wanted to own them. Now the Philistines' congregation are no longer around. But the message of the new covenant is clear. The enemies are not gone. Christ must reign, 1 Corinthians 15, until every enemy is put under his feet. They're still on the warpath. The enemies of God and of his church and of everyone here. To get the Jesus people and Bible believers out of the way. 
You're in the way, guys. You're in the way. Our three enemies. The devil is called our enemy who wages war against our soul. A roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Prowling around. The world is called our enemy. And that can mean persecuting powers, whether the empire or the employer who fires you for your faith in Christ or anyone who opposes you and taunts you for your faith. It includes false teachers whose constant war on truth minimizes Christ and the gospel. The world and the flesh. That's our third enemy. Peter speaks about fighting evil lusts that wage war against your soul. Believe it, these are enemies. Like the desire to get rich is a lust of the flesh. It's an enemy that leads people to ruin and destruction, says Paul. Paul names other lusts that war against the spirit, jealousy. Think of what a lust that is and how destructive that can be to your soul. Quarreling, drunkenness, sorcery, sexual immorality and impurity, fits of anger, slander, gossip, obscene talk. There are different ways in which the evil one tries to grab you and control you and rule and ruin your life so you can no longer bring glory to God. And even if you're a believer, at least your strength is taken away. They faced the giants and so do we. And the message of the giant is this. You are nothing. That's Goliath's message to David, right? Who are you? Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? You little pipsqueak. You are a nothing. That's the message of giants to us. And they really believe that about themselves. The church is nothing. The Bible is silliness. And our temptation is to see ourselves through their eyes. Yeah, we are nothing. I'm ashamed of myself. I have no voice and I have no power against these dudes or against this culture. Facing the giants. Are you surrendering to your enemies? Are you letting anger rule you or lust or the bottle, bitterness? Are you becoming convinced by the lies of this world that your Bible is fantasy and your God is dead? Well, the battle is real and constant and it doesn't stop until Christ returns, brothers and sisters. And that's why the Bible's message is Be alert, be vigilant. Secondly, we, we meet up with four little heroes against these four big giants. The kingdom's little heroes. I call them little guys because their size isn't mentioned, their weapons aren't mentioned, unlike the big guys. Only their names and the fact that they struck down the giants. We think again of the comparison with David versus Goliath. That's what we're meant to think of here. 
the little youth against the giant. And I call them heroes because they're listed in the military accomplishments of David and his men. And we'll read of that list of mighty men in chapter 23. Who are they? Well, first there's Abishai, son of Zeruiah, who took on Ishbi Benob. Just when he was going down to plunge the sword into David, the king. Abishai stepped in between and stopped him and killed him. Wow. What an act of courage. He put his life on the line. This little guy, Abishai. And that's when the men of David swore an oath. This is not going to happen again, David. You're, not, you're getting too old for this. You're not going into the battle anymore. Lest you quench the lamp of Israel. Second little hero, Sibachai, the Hushathite, who struck down Saph. In Chronicles, we know that Sibachai is the leader of the army's eighth division. Three, Elhanan, the son of Jaari Oregon, the Bethlehemite. He struck down Lachmi, the brother of Goliath, the Gittite. Four is Jonathan, son of Shimei, David's brother, who struck down the man with big feet, big hands, and a big mouth. Nothing more is said right here, except that we have four dead giants and four ordinary heroes who have killed them. Now, I'm sure these guys were trained. They were prepared. But no special comments are made about them in stature or weapon. All we know is three things. Number one, they were there. They didn't stay home. They saw the battle and they showed up. They knew their calling. They knew that in the Lord's kingdom, they were to fight the Lord's enemies and theirs. And they were prepared. They were trained. They didn't believe what Saul told David. Remember what Saul said? You're not able to conquer Goliath. That's what so many of God's people say. You're not able to do Stay home. No, they went out. Trusting in the name of the Lord. I call on the name of the Lord. Who's worthy to praise. And so I'm saved from all my enemies. That's their... Their testimony, David and his men. Number two, not only were they there, they fought and they won. The giants came down on them. They stepped up to them and fought. They put their lives on the line for the king and the kingdom. They killed them. And again, we know why. Call on the name of the Lord is worthy to be praised and then saved from my enemies. It wasn't their size, it wasn't their weapons. It was their faith in God. I shared with Albert and Ali a verse from Daniel that I love. Daniel 11, the people who know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. That's the old King James. The people who know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. Do great things. It comes from knowing God. That's where our strength is. From the Lord, through his word. And so it was their faith in him. They had taken time to know God. They knew his covenant love for them. 
He's my protector. He's my savior. He will not let me go. He will not abandon me. And they knew his power for them. That's the second thing. Number one, they were there. Number two, they fought and won. Number three, they followed in David's footsteps. They learned from their king. They were encouraged and empowered by his fight against Goliath. They saw his commitment to God. I come to you. You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of the armies of heaven, whom you defy. This is 1 Samuel 17, war against Goliath, times four. They took a page out of his playbook. They got this from their king. And so here are three encouragements for us, brothers and sisters. The Bible says that these Old Testament scriptures were written for our encouragement, that we might have hope. So here are three encouragements for you and me. Not only the king fights the enemy, but so do the people. For us, not only Christ fights the enemy, but so do his people. God says in Romans 16, God will crush Satan under your feet, the feet of his little people. God does the crushing. We do the fighting in his name and in his strength. So it's not only the king who fights the enemy, but so do the people. Not just David, but many others who fight for the kingdom of God against the enemy. This is every man's battle in the church. This is every woman's battle in the church. He calls out his little people to prepare and engage. We prayed that for Wesley. That he might fight against and overcome the devil, the world, and his own flesh, his own sin. And we can never lay down the weapon. Because it will always be said, and again there was war, and again there was war, and again there was war, and again there was war. Number two. You have more power on your side, brothers and sisters, than the enemy does. They think the power is on their side. And they look at us and despise us as little foolish people who have really nothing but a silly Bible and a, and a Jesus who's he anyway. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Lord Jesus Christ has gone ahead of us and we're fighting a defeated enemy because he crushed the foe. And now he shares his power and his armor with us, filling us with his spirit who lives in us. So we have Christ living in us. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Though the enemy wants us to learn the opposite line. Greater is he that is in the world than he that is in you. So surrender. Give up the fight. And follow me, says the world. No. Through faith, Jesus lives in us as crucified. So we have power to put our sin to death. Through faith, Jesus lives in us as risen. So we have power to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and share the good news. Take the sword of the spirit and spread the gospel to all the world. No matter how many giants are out there looking 
looking down on you to destroy you. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith, our faith in Christ. So we have more power on our side, congregation, than the end. It takes faith. It takes faith to know that. The people who know their God shall be strong and do great things. Think of that. What's one man against a whole powerful merchant's class that sponsored slavery in Britain? But Wilberforce stepped out in faith and won against the giants. Unthinkable, incredible. What's one man or one woman against an abortion industry that pays huge dollars and is supported by all the, the political, media, and economic empire? Or let's say you're a girl or a boy and you're living in a home that's a drug culture or culture of sex, drugs, and lies and you think, I have no power here. What's one boy or one girl against a family culture that is against Christ? Don't be afraid. Hold on to Christ. Be firm in your faith. Go through these hard times and know that you will win through Jesus. It takes a lot of wisdom, a lot of support. But go. Because we have even much more confidence, reason for confidence than David and his men because we fight an already defeated enemy. So we go into this battle as those who are now more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Winners. Third encouragement. We must prepare and dare to do great things for God as little people of Christ. You know, in our culture, we're so committed to our own safety that we hardly dare venture anything for Christ. Like Saul telling David, go home, you can't win. Often as parents, we say to our kids, no, 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 no don't do that, that's not safe. When it goes, comes to going out and serving Christ. Whether we go overseas to India or Pakistan and face the Hindu militants, or we stay on the job at home, shining for Christ for 40 years in the same place. We must dare venture much for Christ. You know, uh, David Platt wrote Radical, challenging young men and women to go overseas and do Radical things for Christ and be bold. And then not as an, in opposition, but as an addition, Michael Horton wrote ordinary. Or you can do the harder thing and be radical at home. But venture much for Christ. The desire for safety is deadly. And the desire to be arrow, arrows in the hands of a warrior, that's our calling. As parents, our calling is not to keep Wesley safe, but to make him ready for the battle. And of course, that calls for Christian training. Don't try to sharpen your arrows in the school of the Philistines because they're sure to sharpen them, but the wrong way and aimed at the wrong target. And that calls for us to be in the word, to listen carefully to sermons, to milk them for all they're worth, to be part of a Bible study. Because as 2 Timothy 3 says, it's the word that's God-breathed and makes a man of God complete, fully equipped for every good work. This is where the power is. 
That's where it is. You'll stay a spiritual baby if you avoid sermons and Bible studies and just pursue an easy life of play. Oh, may God make all of us little heroes. You know, you can be a David who fought Goliath, but remember before that what David was doing? Bringing cheese and bread to the people uh, that were facing Goliath. Both of those are dangerous, risky things. You, you, You can be front line or back row, but either way. Knowing this... That's why it's such a matter of faith. Jesus is the savior and the victor. And to be in his kingdom and on his side, that's where the life is. The eternal life. That's where the joy and the true safety is, even if it kills you. You will but rise and be with him in glory. And even before you rise, your soul is with him. So that's the true place of safety giving your life to him. Now let's not fear the giants and let them keep us hidden behind our computer screens playing games. Remember the story in Pilgrim's Progress where Christian is climbing the hill of difficulty. And as he nears the top, he sees these lions on either side of the road are growling and they look ferocious and they want to eat him up. So he stops his journey on the kingdom road and he starts just pacing. I can't go there. I can't go. That's too scary for me. And then the porter, watchful, he comes out and he says to Christian, oh, don't worry. Those lions are chained. If you stay in the center of the road, Keep going. You'll make it through. Jesus has our enemy chained. Stay to the center. Stay focused on Christ. And keep on going through the war. Because victory is sure. Just briefly. One shining lamp at the end. I love how that passage says that Abishai stepped in against Ishbibanab to protect David when he was in a moment of weakness, lest the lamp of Israel be extinguished, be snuffed out, be quenched. The king was God's lamp, his light, the light of the world in Israel, the hope of glory. The one, the one hope in the midst of darkness. And we don't want that life to be light to be snuffed out. So God protected that lamp and kept him shining. And that's a picture of the greater light, the successor of David. And the Lord of David, Jesus Christ, who is the one true light that enlightens every man. And the darkness cannot overcome him. Now it seemed to. David got protection when they were going to snuff out his light. Jesus did not get protection. He was killed. And the light went out. And the disciples were hopeless. Now it's all darkness. But in Jesus' death, 
He was actually crushing the head of the serpent. He was destroying sin and death and the curse. Nobody knew the power of his death. And then he rose and now the light shines forever and it cannot be extinguished. And when you're serving, when you're serving Jesus Christ, you're serving the light that can't go out, the light of the world. And even when everything looks dark, it's not. You have the light. Christ is that light. He cannot fail. And when we trust in him, we cannot fail. And then we live in everlasting light. And we may know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain because he is alive. He lives forever as the light. So fight on, beloved, for the light of the world is in your midst. Your king will never be extinguished and those who serve him cannot fail. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, in a culture where we're so afraid and Christianity has become so weak, may we know our God and be made strong. May we know our Christ who's gone ahead of us and fought and won. And in his name, be bold. Lord, use us as soldiers in your kingdom, whether we're in the back row fighting the giants or in the front row, doesn't matter. Make us ready. Prepare us when we're young. And as we grow older, make us strong to step out and fight, whether close to home or far away, doesn't matter. But make us ready. Make us bold to venture much for our Savior. Amen.